Well, hello. Welcome to Hope City Church. How are we doing? Good? So, so excited to see you and to be together. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here. And uh, whether you're in Shepherdsville uh, or here in South Louisville, just excited that we uh, get to be together for these next few moments as we are finishing out this series that we started the year with that we called Secret Success. Secret Success, we've been talking about that, and we're going to do that uh, and continue that in just a moment. Uh, but before we do, um, always want to make sure, uh, when I have your undivided attention, always want to make sure that you know about a few things that uh, we want you to know for you, for your good, not for us, but uh, for you. And two things specifically that I want you to have on your radar. Uh, the first is that growth group signups are currently happening. You may have heard some people talking about this. We have uh, 17 or 18 groups uh, that are launching this semester, and uh, about 130 of you have already signed up, which is amazing. And we just we would love for you to be in a group. Our leaders are in groups. Our staffs in groups. We believe in this. Um, we love having church together. We love Thursdays and Sundays and singing together, and we love all of that. But that's just a piece. It's just a taste of uh, the Hope City experience and an experience of a relationship with Jesus. And so groups is is where you. Uh, you make friends, and it's where you grow in your relationship with Christ, and we want to help you do that. So you can use the church app on your phone or go to uh, the lobby in any of the, of the foyers, uh, or go to the booth in any of the lobbies, I should say, uh, at both locations, and they'd love to help you get you signed up. And, uh, and if you are nervous about it, you know, we say this every time, but just try it, and if you don't like it, stop going, all right? We'll, we'll let you bail, and we won't bother you, we promise but we think you'll like it, so we'd love for you to do that. So that's happening. And then the second thing I want you to know is that next week we're starting a brand new series called Testify, which I'm really excited about. How to talk about Jesus without sounding crazy um, is going to be good. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever talked to somebody who was excited about Jesus, but they just sounded crazy? Have you ever talked to one of those people? Well, we're going we're to talk about that. We want to help you. We, wanna, we want to together figure out how we can share what Jesus is doing in our life and share what's happening uh, that in a way that, you know, maybe a little bit crazy, but not a lot crazy. And so uh, that's going to be a good time, and that starts next week. So I'd love for you to be here for that um, as, we, as we get that started, okay? Now, we're finishing a series called Secret Success. We started the year with this, and we have been reading through and studying Matthew chapter 6, just kind of hanging out in Matthew 6, where Jesus is giving us warnings uh, to watch out for pride, to watch out for the temptation that all of us face to do good things for bad reasons, to do the right things for the wrong reasons. He used a couple of examples like helping people and giving to people in need and prayer. We've, we've talked about um, those. And, and what Jesus is saying is don't take culture's advice. Culture will tell you you need to accomplish more, you need to be seen more, you need to accumulate more, you need to spread the word more. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't worry about who's watching because I'm watching. And if you really want a fulfilling, rewarding relationship with Christ, if you really want a fulfilling, rewarding life, then you need to do more things in private than you do in public. You need to do the right things behind closed doors than you need to worry about doing all the things to be to be seen. And, and what we've been saying throughout this series is this big idea that the most rewarding things you will ever do will be the things that very few people see. The most rewarding things that you will ever do will be the things that very few people see. And that's really the idea behind secret success. And so we're going to finish this out by talking about fasting. 
We're going to talk about fasting, and it is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. I would love for you to grab a Bible around you, either underneath the seat in front of you or in the seat where you're at there. And we're going to read a few different verses tonight, or to, to, today, tonight, and um, we're going to hang out, start in Matthew 6, and then jump around just a little bit. But um, Matthew 6, verses 16, 17, and 18, here is what it says. It says, and when you fast, notice that Jesus said when you fast, not if you fast. He said when you fast, because he is teaching under this impression that we would be fasting, that somehow fasting would be a part of our life, a practice. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just hang tight because we'll get there. But if you do know what I'm talking about, if you, if you are familiar with this idea of fasting, then you need to know that Jesus kind of just assumes that for those of us who have a relationship with him, who have put our faith in him, um, we would be fasting. And so he says, when you fast... Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, this is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. It's this idea again. That the most rewarding things we will ever do will be the things that very few people see, but God sees. And so he continues this theme of just don't do the right things for the wrong reasons. Don't make good things bad things by allowing pride to sneak into your heart. And when we were talking about giving to the needy and helping people, you can understand how a lot of us would probably say, yeah, I've experienced that before where... You know, I kind of let that get to my head or get into my heart, and I was kind of prideful about it. Or maybe prayer. We, we've all kind of experienced like, yeah, when I prayed out loud, I prayed totally different, and I'm kind of self-conscious about it. I think we could all kind of relate to that. But when it comes to fasting, if I'm being honest, I don't think that many of us in the room struggle with being prideful about fasting. I don't think that it's something that we do so often and so well that we tell people about it and show off about it. Now, I'm sure that there are, and during Jesus' time, they definitely were. They wanted it to be obvious that they had been fasting, and Jesus says, don't do that. But I, my experience uh, with people is that that's not the case for us. The, the bigger challenge than being great at fasting and not being prideful about it, the greater challenge is just fasting. And just having this be a part of, of our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual uh, practices. My hope is that whether you have ever fasted before or whether you've tried and you quit or you threw in the towel or you hated it or whatever it is, my hope is by the end of this message that you will want to, that you will be like, curious and, 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 and maybe courageous enough to, to take this step. That's what my hope and that's what I, what I pray for us. Now, over the years as a pastor, I've talked to so many of you, talked to so many people who are trying to have a relationship with Christ. They're trying to, you know, have a, a vibrant spiritual life. Talked to so many of you, and, and there is a level of frustration that we experience. It's common among so many Christians that... We would never maybe say it this way. We're not sure we're allowed to say it this way. But if I was putting words to it, I would say that for so many, spirituality is underwhelming. That for so many, 
your relationship with God, when you try to practice it on your own, just doesn't, uh, doesn't happen the way that you thought it would or is not as exciting as you hoped it would be or not as fulfilling as you want it to be. A couple of examples would be, um, you know, people say to me, when I pray, I just don't feel like anything happens. I want to pray. I want to be a powerful prayer, and I want God to answer prayers and, and, and use my prayers in a way. I want to feel like I'm talking to God and God is talking to me. I, I want to experience that, but that's not really what I experience when I pray. I definitely don't really experience answered prayers. I've prayed about things or asked God to do things, and he hasn't done them. It's frustrating. Other times people say, um, I just, I try to have a consistent time with God. I try to, to, you know, mark out, wake up early, you know, mark out some time. I try to, you know, read my Bible. I try to have that consistent time with God. But so often I get busy or I get distracted and I just have never seemed to really have that, like, that, that quality time with God like, like, like I describe or people describe. So I never, I haven't had that. It's frustrating. Maybe... Other people would say, you know, I want to feel like God is using my life in a significant way. I want to feel like I'm living out my purpose. I want to feel like um, that, that God is, 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 is using me and doing something through me. But I don't really feel that way. I feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions. That doesn't feel that way for me. I think all of us to some degree would say, I just want to feel closer to God. I don't feel close to God. I don't. I don't feel this really close connection with him most of the time. I'm at church. Yeah, I do. But when I try to practice my spirituality on my own, I don't really feel that way. These are common frustrations that Christians have. And so much of our Christian life feels like we're in a slump or in a rut, or we would say it lacks passion, or we would say it lacks power. And the question is why? Why do so many of us describe a relationship with God in that way? Why do so many of us describe spirituality in an underwhelming way? I believe, this is my opinion, I believe it's because we want to experience more of God. We do. But we don't want to have to give more of ourselves to God. We do want to experience more of God, but we don't want to have to give more of ourselves to God in order to experience more of him. We want the maximum experience with the minimum investment. That's my vacation strategy right there. I want the maximum experience for the minimum investment. So I'm the guy who always tries to go cheap and find the deal, and then I'm underwhelmed by vacation. Because I'm trying to get the maximum experience with the minimum investment. But it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that, that way. And, and so we want to experience more of God, but we have this struggle and this tension because we, yes, more of God. But not if I have to give more of me in order to experience that. In 1971, there was a man uh, named Wilbur Reese who wrote a poem called $3 Worth of God. And I want to read it to you. It's, uh, it's pretty profound. He, he wrote this. He said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. 
I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or work with an immigrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And if that stings a little bit, it's supposed to. That's why he wrote it. That there would be a conviction in us that we want enough of God to satisfy us without requiring much from us. And we will always fight this temptation to grow comfortable. I would even say possibly lazy in our walk with Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you will always fight this temptation to, to, to grow a little bit cold or lazy in that. Not because you're evil, not because we're evil or not because we're wicked, but because we're human. And we live in a world that is designed to make us comfortable. We live in a world that is designed to attach us to this world when those of us whose faith is in Christ, this is not our home. That we are supposed to live longing for him, to be with him, and while we can't be more of him here, but we live in a world that's in competition with that. And so it's easy to grow comfortable and, and maybe a little, bit, a little bit cold. And Jesus, um, Jesus actually tells a story about this in Luke chapter 14. If you still have your Bible or you want to grab it again, um, I would love to read this together. If not, we'll put it on the screen for you. But Jesus tells this story talking right to this idea. And, and the, the point that Jesus is making in this parable, it's a parable, so it's a fictional story to, to make a point. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is that it's usually not the bad or the evil things in your life that keep you from experiencing more of God. It's usually the good things that God has given you that actually keep you from him. This is the point that Jesus is going to make in Luke 14, um, and we'll start at verse 15. Just a couple of verses. This is what Jesus said. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. So in other words, Jesus is at this dinner with religious people. If you go back and read earlier in the chapter, it's kind of tense because they're looking for a way to kill him. So you can understand that would be a little bit of tense dinner there. And... Um, and so this guy speaks up and says, man, you know what would be awesome? One day when we finally get to have, you know, we get to be with God and have a banquet with God. And that, that's going to be amazing. And so Jesus tells this story. He replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said... I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't, I can't come. Jesus was at this dinner with religious people and he wants to make a point to them that was valid then and it's just as valid now that the biggest barrier to experiencing more of God is not the bad things in life, it's all the good things in life, the gifts that God has given you. That's what happened here. The man who is throwing the feast represents God, 
And he sends out the invitations for the people to come to the banquet, and they turn him down and look at the reasons that they gave. We just read it. The first person said, I just bought some land, and I need to go work on it. The second person said, I bought some oxen and need to go use them, which in this time, this is, these are just, this is the tool that the farmers would use, an animal that farmers would use to work their land. And so in essence, he's saying, I need to go see if my new tools work. And then the third person says, I just got married. Now, they are invited to an extravagant banquet, which represents... A banquet thrown by God, a chance to be at a banquet with God, but they don't go. Not because they're atheists, not because they're into witchcraft, not because they're terrorists, but because they are managing their investments, building their business, and spending time with their family. That's why they turn down the invitation from God. In his book, Hunger for God, John Piper describes what we just read in Luke 14 this way. This is so, so powerful. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. In other words, what John Piper is saying and what Jesus is saying is that you never accidentally become more spiritual. You never accidentally grow closer to God. You never accidentally search for him and find him. The default condition for all of us is a steady leak away from a passionate relationship with God. It's like when you keep putting air in your tire in your car and you can drive it for two or three or four weeks, but then it goes low again because there's a leak somewhere. That is what happens to our souls because we live in a world that is designed to pull us away from God. And so less prayer, less confession, less community, less worship, that's what begins to happen to us. Not because of evil things, but because of good things, good gifts from God. So the question is, how can we become less attached to the world? How can we become less focused or distracted or in love with the gifts that God has given us but have now caused us to distance ourselves from him? Well, the answer is fasting. The answer is fasting. Jesus gives us a way to do this through fasting. Now, what do I mean by fasting? Well, the dictionary definition of fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual reasons. Abstaining from food for spiritual reasons, that's the dictionary definition, which is fine. But let me give you the Jason definition, all right? Here's the Jason definition. Fasting is the choice to be hungry so you can feel more hungry for God. The choice to be hungry, making the choice on purpose to be hungry so that you can feel more hungry for God. Fasting is determined periods of time where we say no to the good things of this world, mainly food. We're talking about food, and for thousands of years in Christian tradition, fasting is about food. But it may be 
other good things like technology or, uh, you know, entertainment or uh, hobbies or something like that, potentially. And we give these things up on purpose. We make a choice to stop them so that we can experience a greater connection with God. And maybe you hear that and you say, that sounds like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We as Christians practice fasting for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because all throughout the Bible, people who experienced God greatly fasted. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, David, on and on and on fasting. Jesus fasted. Daniel fasted. The disciples fasted. The apostle Paul fasted. You have to fast to go to heaven? Absolutely not. Jesus is what gets you to heaven. But for those of us who want to experience more of God and become less attached to this world, we follow the example of the heroes of our faith in the scriptures. And fasting empties us of the world so we can be filled up with more of the presence of God. It empties us. Fasting empties us of the world so that we can be filled with more of the presence of God. And it's, it's symbolic and it's literal. So as I'm talking about this idea of emptying ourselves, I am literally talking about emptying ourselves, like an empty stomach, literally. But I'm also talking about it, about it symbolically. It represents something greater, that a cheeseburger is not just a cheeseburger. It represents the amazing gifts that God gives us. You know, God didn't have to give food flavor. You know what I mean? But he said, I love them so much, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them them rolls at Texas Roadhouse. And I'm going to give them a double blessing with the cinnamon butter. He didn't have to give us cinnamon butter. He said, I love them. And I'm going to give them cinnamon butter. So the next time you're spreading that cinnamon butter, come on, just throw your hands up in Texas Roadhouse. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for cinnamon butter. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give food flavor. But, but, but flavor is a gift from God. And when we eat and drink and enjoy hobbies and, and experience life, all of the good things that we experience are supposed to be reminders of how good God is. And what happens to all of us is instead of worshiping the goodness of God when we experience good things, we begin to subconsciously worship the good things. And we, and we get pulled away from, from God. As a society, like straight up, we're just addicted to food. We are. We are dependent on food. And maybe, you know, you would say, like, no, I'm not me. I'm not addicted to food or sugar or coffee. I, I think, I don't, the point's not to argue with you, but I think if you took a step back and, and you begin to practice fasting, you would find that food is a bigger part of your life than you think, that your life is built around this more than you, you think. And we really, like, use food in, in, in really a way, like a dependency way, whether we realize it or not. You, you have a stressful day at work, and you, you're just really kind of at, the, at your end with it. And what would be amazing is if you came home and you went to your room and you closed the door and you went into your prayer closet 
say, God, I had a bad day, and, but I know, God, as empty as I feel, you can fill me back up, and God, thank you for you know, restoring my energy, God. But you know what? Ice cream is a little easier. <laughs> Papa John's pizza is a little simpler. And so we handle stress with food, deal with our emotions with food. When we're bored, we eat. When we need energy, we eat. And so it is a literal thing that literally sometimes a full belly keeps us from experiencing more of God. But symbolically, metaphorically, it is representative of all of the ways in life that are good but we, we won't let go of the good things for periods and seasons of time to experience something greater with God. And that's what fasting is. It's making the choice to be hungry for a determined period of time so you feel more hungry for God. And Christians have been fasting for thousands of years, long before it was trendy, long before it was like a weight loss plan. We've been doing it. And Jesus promised us in Matthew 6, it will be rewarding. It will be rewarding. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't feel rewarding in the moment most of the time. And I don't want to romanticize it like, man, you're going to skip lunch and you're just going to feel just this angelic visit, you know. No, you're probably just going to be hungry. But it is the choice and the practice of fasting that creates desire and motivation and, and pushes you towards wanting more of God. And when you detach, you begin to detach yourself from the world, sometimes that's painful. And regardless of how good or bad it feels in the moment, God promises us if you will privately, as a part of what's happening behind the doors of your life, make fasting a practice. It will be rewarding. And so for the rest of our time together, I want to give you three reasons uh, why you should not fast. And I'm going to give those to you pretty quickly. But then I want to give you three reasons why you should fast. And I am kind of specifically talking to those of us in, in the room who, who have made a decision to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not telling anybody to fast so that you can be saved. I'm not telling anybody to fast because, you know, it'll help you lose weight. I'm not telling anybody to fast you know, to prove that you're a good person. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we would say we, we are Christians. We are following Christ. We pick up where thousands of years of Christians left off, and we, we pick up fasting. And so that's, that's really kind of who I'm talking to and, and what I'm talking about. So if you have your sermon guide, you can write these in. But let me quickly just give you three reasons why you should not fast. All right, The first reason that you should not fast is to punish yourself. Don't fast to punish yourself. Fasting can be painful, but we don't fast because of punishment. We did deserve punishment because of our sin. We did deserve punishment, but Jesus came and took our punishment. And so we don't have to fast to, like, prove to God we're sorry. We don't have to fast to, like, say to God, like, see, I can really tolerate pain. This is how much I love you because I'm hurting we don't, we don't fast to, to punish ourselves, to prove something to God. And if you search fasting in the Bible, you will find examples in the Old Testament where people fasted because of remorse or grief or 
um, to, 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 be, to make something right or be restored. But that's all in the Old Testament. Once Jesus came, he's the one who made us right with God. And, and when, when we ask to be forgiven, we don't in any way have to earn forgiveness or prove to God that we really were serious by somehow punishing ourselves. That's not why we fast, okay? It can feel noble, but that's not why we do it. The second reason you should not fast is to manipulate God. And this is tricky because you'll hear a lot of people teach on fasting that, you know, fast because there's something you really need in your life, and if you'll fast, it'll unlock it. Or if you'll fast, God will do it. And here's why I say it's tricky, because it probably will happen. Like, fasting is powerful, and, and doors open, and, and God does amazing things in your life when you fast, but that's not why we fast. We fast to detach ourselves from the world and to have more of an appetite for God. But I would be lying if I didn't tell you that you are probably going to be blown away at the things that do begin to happen in your life. But I don't ever start a fasting period of time. I used to before I... I felt like I understood it a little better. I don't ever say, like, God, I'm fasting, so you'll do this. God, I'm fasting, so you'll do this. God, I'm fasting, so you'll do this. It, as I'm fasting and I'm praying, like, God, I would love it if you would do this. I'm praying for this. But, but I want, God, I want this fast to bring me close to you and, and, and my heart and my life. And if that's what you want to do, then, like, help me. But if not, like, that, I just want you, God. And God sent Jesus, and that's the greatest thing he could have ever given us. So if we don't get the other stuff we ask for, it's okay, because we got Jesus. And so we don't fast to manipulate God like, come on, God, over here. Come on, three days right here. What you got? That's not why we do it. Let me give you one more. Um, we don't fast to feel superior. We don't fast to feel superior. It's, it is crazy how when you begin to do things for God, how quickly you can become prideful about those things. Even if you were like terrible at it for like eight years. One good fast and you're like, man, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty amazing Christian, honestly. <laughs> I'm like the only Christian I know who fasts, so I'm amazing. And, and, and pride leaks into our heart. But, but hear me, fasting does not make me better than you. Fasting makes me better than me. You got me? So, so, first of all, it's private, so I don't know what you're doing or what you're not doing. But second of all, I, I'm not somehow more superior. Jesus told a story one time about two guys who went to the temple. It was a parable, and, and they called out to God. And one guy said, God, I fast twice a day or twice a week, I think he said. And the other guy said, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And Jesus said, whose prayer do you think God heard? And so we don't, we don't. Like, the only reason we can do the things that we do is because of the grace of God. So if you, if you feel like fasting is a practice in your life that you have, that God has gracefully helped you with, that's unbelievable. But it's no reason to feel superior to anybody who doesn't. But we don't fast for that. And so we don't fast to punish ourselves or manipulate God or feel superior. But let me give you three reasons why, why you should fast. Three reasons why you should fast. Number one, the first reason you should fast is to test your hunger for God, to test your hunger for God. What do I mean by that? Well, in his book, Celebration of Disciplines, Richard Foster says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. And this is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. And it sounds silly to say it this way, but this is as practical as it get as it gets. You when you're fasting, you will discover what you want more, God or a cheeseburger. And that sounds silly, but it's real. And if you give in and eat the cheeseburger, it doesn't mean you don't love God. But what's happening when you're fasting is you are, you are being tested. You are between you and God, not for anybody else, but between you and God, you are realizing that you're more attached to the world than you thought you were. You're realizing that you depend on food more than you thought you did. When you, when you say, you know what, I'm going to give up social media. I don't have my phone on me, but you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up. I'm going to take the Facebook app off my phone. It won't be that hard. And then you're bored or you're sitting at your desk or whatever, and you pull out your phone and you go to hit the app and you don't have it on your phone. And, and that, that split second where you're like, oh, what you're realizing is this is something that can be a good thing, but this is something that I use as a dependency. This is something that I use for stress, boredom, emotion, this is something that I didn't realize I was so attached to. And let me tell you what's going to happen when you, when you decide to fast. You know what you're going to think about the whole time? Food. Food. If you feel like you don't have enough time in the day, fast. It's the slowest day in the history of days. The only way for time to stand still is to fast or pay off student loans. That's what I believe. And so... Like, time slows down, and you just think about food the whole time. Now, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, and I've never prayed without ceasing, but I have thought about food without ceasing. When I'm fasting, what am I going to eat? How's it, what's that commercial? Let's rewind that. Um, how are we going to break this? You know, where are we going to go? Uh, should I stay up till 12.01? Like, I, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> and do you know what I am discovering? That I wasn't pre as prepared for the test as I thought I was. That I was a little more hooked than I thought I was, a little more addicted than I thought I was, a little more dependent than I thought I was. And fasting reveals what's going on, and it's testing my hunger for God. Not some grandiose, hey, I'm going to impress you, God, like, God, I love you more than cheeseburgers, God. But most of the time, what I'm praying when I'm fasting is, God, I want to want you more than I want food. I don't know that I can say that honestly right now, God. But will you help me want to want you more than I want these other good gifts that you've given me that I have become too dependent on or covered up what you're trying to do in my life with? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so the first reason we fast is we test our hunger for God. But let me give you, um, let me give you another one. Uh, another reason we fast is to learn how to depend on God. We fast to learn, to learn how to depend on God. Whether we realize it or not, we depend on food and our cell phones and entertainment or coffee. We depend on them. We create dependencies. But God wants us to depend on him. And fasting is a great way to learn how to depend on him. Because when your stomach is yelling at you, all you can do is say, God, you're going to have to help me get through this. It's 530, God. I can smell the popcorn that Andrea just made downstairs with the extra butter. And God, you're going to have to help me. Everybody, somebody just brought in a birthday cake in the, in the, in the conference room at the office, God. And you're going to have to help me. 
I want to quit. I want to throw in the towel. You're going to have to help me. Fasting is not just about not eating and then gripping your wrist and your teeth and saying, I'm not going to do it. Fasting is about replacing the appetite for the other things with an appetite for God. So instead of eating, we're praying more. Instead of eating, we're reading our Bible more. Instead of eating, we're worshiping more. Because we are, we are, we, God is helping us replace an appetite. Not forever, for a period of time that's been decided. And so fasting, you will, <laughs> you will never ask God to help you more than when you're trying to get through a fast. Or when your kids get a driver's license, what they tell me. I'm not there yet. But, but that, like that, that just feeling of like, you got to do this, God. I'm depending on you, God. You got to do it. And what happens is God gets you through. He gets you through. And he wants us to live our life all the time like that. But we forget because ice cream calms us down. And so we go through another season or period of time where we fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up, fill up, and we realize, you know what? I may be so full of the world that I don't really have a lot of space in my life for God. You with me? And so let me give you one more. We test our hunger for God. We learn how to depend on God. But then the last reason that you should fast, plain and simple, is to experience more of God. Experience more of God. This is greater than anything he can do for us, greater than any, any prayer he can answer for us. Fasting empties us of the world and creates space to be filled up with more of him. As you fast, you will discover that God feels closer at times or prayers seem more powerful at times. Why? Not because he's speaking louder, but because you're empty. And there's somewhere for it to go, symbolically. And it's, it's silly to think that food could keep us from experiencing God, but it does. Because when our bellies are full, we are less aware we are less desperate, and fasting helps us to experience more of God. I'm not saying that it's going to be this blissful, holy moment when you skip lunch to pray. But I am saying if fasting becomes a regular discipline and practice in your life, you will be able to tell as you look back on how you're experiencing more of God. When we miss breakfast, we don't say, well, I miss breakfast, I'll just miss lunch too. If we miss breakfast or lunch, we don't say, well, I miss breakfast or lunch, I'll probably just skip dinner. We say, I haven't eaten all day. I got to eat. And God says, that's how I want you to feel about me. Well, yeah, I didn't have a chance to pray today, but, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out tomorrow. God says, like, that way you feel when you miss a meal that's how I want you to long for me. That's how I want you to feel about me. Man, I haven't prayed today. Man, I haven't prayed in a couple of hours. Man, I haven't spent time with God. I, I, I don't want to miss another meal. I don't want to miss another moment. I want to I feast on God instead of feasting on all this other stuff that is good. It's gifts from God. But it's not... It's not the greatest. 
And so fasting is choosing to be hungry so that you can feel more hungry for God. And so my prayer and my hope is that you would take this step. Um, If you've never done this, it can be a little bit intimidating, but start small. Start small. Figure out some ways that a lot of our team, because over the last several years, we've tried to make this a part of our culture. A lot of our team has done some fasting. They would love to help you if you have questions or uh, we'd love to, to help you with that. But the, but the other thing that I want you to know is that, and you may not know this because private discipline, uh, but I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here, um, that our church actually has a group of people who fast year-round. And so every day, 365 days a year, someone in our church is fasting and praying for you and praying for our church. And we believe that it's secret success. That every time somebody commits their life to Christ or every time a family gets put back together or somebody gets healed or something good happens in somebody's life, it's not because of what you see as much as what you don't see. And it's what's happening behind closed doors. And so I think right now, what, about 60-ish people or so? 65, 66, something people right now are on that team and we have a calendar and people fast. And so um, if you would be interested in being a part of that, We don't really publicize it, but since I'm speaking on fasting, I wanted to tell you about it. And if you'd want to be a part of that or just get more information about it, um, we're going to make you take a step. We're not going to, there's no booth set up. Okay, you got to take a step. Um, But there's an email address, I believe. It's hello at realhopenow.com. Is that up? Do we have that? No? Okay, so it's not up there. See, we're going to make it two steps. Now you got to write it down. Hello, H-E-L-L-O, at realhopenow.com hello at realhopenow.com and just say hey I'm interested in the fasting group and we'll, we'd love to help you and give you some information about that um, you don't have to fast matter of fact an overwhelming number of people in heaven will not have fasted or tithed or all kinds of other things that God gives us the opportunity to do for our good So, man, I don't want you to miss out on this. I hope you would take uh, that step. Can we pray together? God, thank you for Jesus. That when we deserved punishment, when when we should have had to come up with ways to prove to you that we deserve grace or that we're sorry, you sent your son Jesus to give us a chance to be saved and to have a relationship with you. And God, will you forgive us? We're all guilty, God, of falling in love with the things you do for us and the things you give for us more than, than, than maybe being in love with you at different seasons in our life. And so God, forgive us for that and help us, give us the, the courage to begin to detach ourselves from all of the good things in our life that are pulling us away from you so that we can empty ourselves to be filled up with more of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.